I wish I were an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I truly like to be. Three. Two. Well, you're already a wiener, so. Eh, bite me. One. This Avengers for is a podcast goes out to Antonio Sanciolo and I, a fake ego, would like to thank him for whatever the heck it is he did to get to the show dedicated to him. I don't really pay attention to anything like that. So this show is for you and also me. Fake Rigo. Thank you. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. My name's Matthew. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this Issue, the Man of Steel flies again. The man behind Commando makes more movies and which bobble reigns supreme. And when the brokenhearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer. The Major Spoilers podcast will let it be and be on the air and stuff. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. We're going to say it's an exciting issue. Rodrigo is still out again this week, on vacation officially now. Last week he was working, this week he's on vacation. I saw his Twitter post where he says, I'm in Ohio time now. Maybe he just broke up with us. (laughs) (laughs) As he's letting us know via via the tweet. Well, no, it's a a passive-aggressive thing, and he's going to be like, we need some time apart. Yes, It's always good when uh, Rodrigo does come back, though, because it... uh, Always good to have him as part of the show, and it's so good to have you as part of the show, Matthew, and all of our listeners from around the world. If you're, if this is the first time you're joining us, man, you have missed a lot, and you've got a lot of catching up to do. 213 episodes, not counting this one, that you need to go back and listen to. What do we do in this show? Well, we cover news, we cover reviews, and we cover a trade paperback or two, depending on the time that we have going out. This week paperback we're go- or twos, to make it right. Yes. We cover ooze, ooze and, and ahs and a few boos here and there. I don't know if we'll have any this week, but uh, let's go ahead and get started with the news. This <laughs> week we have uh, four items. Uh, there's a brand new DC Universe animated movie on the way. The new title has been released. It's Superman Batman Apocalypse. It tells the story of the Supergirl origin from the uh, Superman Batman series. Jeff Loeb has been named the executive vice president head of television at Marvel. Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson is in, in uh, talks to direct both Hobbit movies, maybe, maybe not, depending on which rumor mill you're listening to this week. And DC Comics finally comes to the iPad. Those are our top four stories over at the Majorspoilers.com website. Let's spin that wheel of destiny, Matthew, and let us see where it lands and around and around. And there it stops right there on number two. Jeff Loeb named the executive vice president head of television at Marvel. Now, this is interesting. Uh, because it just so happens that Jeff Loeb wrote the uh, Superman Batman apocalypse story that is being turned into a movie over at DC Comics. <laughs> a little oh. strange, a little interesting. Um, in his role as the new executive vice president, uh, Mr. Loeb is going to work with Dan Bup- Buckley, the president and publisher of print animation and, and the digital division at Marvel Worldwide. And he's going to take Marvel's popular characters and stories and turn them into television medium in both live action and animation formats. In addition to these responsibilities, Mr. Loeb will oversee the development and distribution of live-action animated and direct-to-DVD series. Interesting, 
just in that because it sounds exactly like what DC Comics is doing or has been doing for quite a while. And Marvel, to an extent, has been doing that as well with a lot of their direct-to-DVD movies. We've had the uh, Doctor Strange, the Hulk, the Ultimate Avengers, a lot of those going direct-to-DVD. Uh, but, Matthew, what are your thoughts on on this? Well, my thoughts, my initial thoughts are mean, and I apologize No, no, go that, ahead. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, vitriol does, uh, slung up on the Majorspoilers.com website. Does uh, this mean he'll stop writing Red Hulk? Because <laughs> if so, I'm on board. Is that is that as mean as you're going to get? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, anything that means less Red Hulk is A-OK by the fat man. Just, if I'm going to, you know... You know, Tidge over at the or at the Majorspoilers.com website said at least now when he recycles plots, dialogue, and situations from television and movies, he won't have to put as much thought into making them work on the comic page. Hey oh <laughs> <laughs> well, really I think flesh- it's actually Damascus says, Can you really flush the Hulk down the toilet? The character is, is fairly two dimensional. He can be cool character, but a majority of his stories are pretty bland. They can't all have him in an alternate future wearing Doctor Strange's cape and having killed darn near everyone. But hey, Jeff Loeb has some experience with TV. Let's see what he can do. It's got to be better than Mutant X or whatever that show was. Heck, there haven't even been that many great live-action shows dealing with the subject other than, say, Heroes, which Loeb was let go on after the first season, <laughs> Wonder right. Woman and the old Batman show. Oh, and Smallville, uh, for some of us, uh, for some of us, it's uh, good, too. Now, Smallville, he also worked on that series. Loeb has got a lot of big television experience. He's got a lot of book writing experience, comic book experience. I think uh, he wrote the movie Commando. I was just uh, looking that up. You'd mentioned it in the intro. I was looking in the IMDb. He wrote of uh, the Buffy, the animator. I'm sorry, he was the executive producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He right. wrote uh, Commando. Yes, he did. The story. He also did yeah. Teen Wolf. So there you go. And Teen well, Wolf Jeff Loeb is responsible for a couple of my favorite stories of all time. Seven Little Monsters? No. Uh, Batman the Long Halloween, the initial one. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. the Challengers of the Unknown miniseries that he did with Tim Sale. Yeah. But... He's one of those writers who's really all over the place, and there are times when I hate him mm-hmm. with a passion bordering on hysterical pregnancy, <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I want I want to find him and I want to beat him, and then other times I'm like, oh, you are so cute, and I shall I shall call you Squishy, and you will be my Squishy. But overall, I think it's probably a good thing, except for the obvious elephant in the room, which is comics as a medium are a medium unto themselves and you know comics that are created specifically as a pitch or used specifically as a springboard for a tv show or a movie or what have you tend to be less in my opinion fulfilling well i'm concerned that we're going to get to the point where marvel is is recently i know if you read invincible iron man they repackaged iron man to make him more like the robert downey jr version that you see in the movies yeah in this case, it was an, an improvement because it got rid of Herr Gruppenfuhrer Stark. Right. But it also came to a point where I'm like, you know, this is very clearly a move made to bring the property, the intellectual property, in line with the more popular, read that more lucrative version of the character. And while, you know, I can see... That in Iron Man's case, it was definitely a good call, and Matt Fraction is doing excellent work on that book. I would hate to see the whole Marvel Universe, you know, do an about-face or revamp everything to make it more like a series of potential movies. Well, but see, I think that's one of the things that that maybe you're overlooking. It seems today that more and more comic books are created 
as that pitch for a movie or television, specifically for that. And you can look at Platinum Studios. They're notorious for that. But even uh, other other big publishers. I mean, you look at Boom, you look at some of these others, and you read some of these stories, and you know that, hey, this is something that could be pitched to Hollywood and probably is being pitched to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. To I, I think what you're talking about with Iron Man is it went the other way. It went from movies back to the comic properties, but that's not what right. Loeb's doing. He's taking the comic properties and figuring out which ones are going to be best for an animated movie, which ones are going to be best for a live-action television series, which one's going to be best for an animated TV series. And right. with Disney dollars backing you up, you know, he does have a pretty good track record of picking some winners, um, unlike <laughs> the winner that I was picking just before the show. Ba, 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 ba. So, I, you know, I don't... Whoever they have in here, you know, he's got the television experience. He's been a showrunner for a number of years on Heroes. And so I think he can do a fine job there. What I think is more interesting in this story is that Marvel is now making a bigger commitment to television, not just in their animated TV series like the Superhero Squad or uh, X-Men or Spider-Man series that they have going on, but actually developing more content directly for the screen, the small screen. If we can get more Blade television series, which was actually a pretty good series, if we can get more, um, if we could get uh, Runaways as a television series, I'd be all over that. So I, I kind of see this as a good as good news, and I see this as a very interesting turn for Marvel. They've already kind of conquered the box office, or at least they're holding on to that. They've triumphed in the uh, publishing world as far as as the comic properties go. Now let's see what they can do on television. So I think it's kind of win win all around. Except for the one thing that bothers me is if, let's put it this way. I want to read comic books that are comic books. Sure. I don't necessarily want to read comic books that are pitches for a series or that are an adaptation of a series. And I think that the problem or the worry that I have is that we are going to start seeing series not based on whether or not they make a good story, but based on how quickly they can be adapted or how easily they can be adapted. What I really want you like you to like avoid. reading Incorruptible though, don't you? I do. You like reading Powers, don't you? Yeah. You like reading. Uh, you like read what's that other series that you're? Always I going see on your point. On? You like that Doctor Who thing, don't you? I see your point, but I'm telling you that a comic book should be written as a comic book, and yes. if it if it functions as a pitch or if it functions as something that can be adapted or even translated into a TV series, that's fine. I don't want an entire line of comics. That's nothing but TV series. I don't read, I didn't read the Legion cartoon adaptation. I didn't regularly read JLU, even though I watched both of those shows pretty religiously. Right. I don't read tiny Titans. Oh yeah. My daughter does, but oh yeah. She doesn't understand why there's two Wonder Girls and a and Kid Devil. She thinks oh, it's yeah. all silly. Oh, sorry. And she wants Jericho <laughs> to have a new haircut. But that's neither here nor there. I just no, want to make understand. sure yeah. that Marvel is is looking at their properties as here are the here are our comic book properties. Here are the properties that we're going to translate. And you know, they can meet and they can cross and they can change, and that's fine, but the comic books need to be more than just backdoor pilots. Well, I think all you have to do is look at Disney's and Marvel's statement uh, from, what, over a year ago when Disney acquired Marvel and said, hey, we're not after the Iron Man, the Spider-Man, or that kind of stuff. We're not after the the comic book publishing. We are after the 4,000-plus characters that Marvel has in its roundhouse so that we can develop them into properties that can make us money. That's what Disney See? is concerned about. Here that it is. is what Marvel's it's a buddy about. comedy. Yeah. American Eagle, Fat Cobra, and the <laughs> Texas Twister. 
Hey, okay. look. Now stay with me here. Okay. They're the new heroes for hire. Mm-hmm. And one's an, an Amerindian tough guy, and one is a, a lost fighter from the world of Pengli, and one's a big redneck, right? And they live in a house, and, and Don Knotts is their uh, landlord, and he thinks <laughs> Texas Twister is gay, see? Well, but hey, he, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this in all seriousness. If okay. Jeff Loeb sat down and, and went through um, Iron Fist mm-hmm. and said, you know what, this would make an excellent series. There aren't enough kung fu on, on television these days. Let's take Iron Fist and take that whole arc that we reviewed not too long ago that's in the uh, that hardbound trade, and let's turn that into a television series. Are you going to sit back and go, ah, Jeff Loeb, you just ruined Iron Fist, or are you just going to sit there and go, oh, heck yes, he's taking that great story and turning it into a TV series or championing it for a TV series? I'll probably do both. Okay. All right. You All know right. how I am. Yeah. There's a lot of talk back and forth, both pro and con, over uh, over this announcement. And it is kind of a shock, and it is kind of a surprise, especially since Loeb has been you know, doing a lot of stuff for DC over the years. So I thought that that was kind of a surprise for me. But a lot of people have a lot of different thoughts, and we want you to share your thoughts over at Majorspoilers.com. There is a link in the show notes in this episode that will take you right to the story and right to all of the comments. Um, as we move ahead, and we've got a show coming up this weekend, a very special a very special major spoilers podcast this weekend. A cousin Oliver coming back yes, to visit. Cousin, yes, that's that's what I'm most concerned about is cousin Oliver. But uh, I'm trying to do a little experiment. Maybe you can help me out. If you have a webcam, a good quality microphone, and you like to have your opinions heard, then I want your thoughts on the hey, following. Hey, I subject. have those things. Well, do you like to hear yourself talk? Yes, you do. Uh, do you have an opinion on this? Chris Nolan is rebooting the Superman movie franchise again. And uh, early talk on the street is he's going to go after an unknown to play the Man of Steel. Now, do you agree that someone audiences have never heard of should make you believe that a man can fly? Or is there someone else who should be cast in the role in the new Superman movie? What we want you to do, what I want you to do, if you've got time and you don't have to do it, if you don't want to participate in it. And Matthew, you're more than welcome to do it if if you would. uh, Record yourself. Do a little movie uh, where you answer that question in one minute or less. Make it look good. Make it sound good. 640 by 480 is the uh, good uh, aspect size. QuickTime or Windows Media v- video only. File size should be less than 3 megabytes, and all you have to do is email your submission to podcast at majorspoilers.com. want to see what kind of response we get, if the response is good, and if we get something that, uh, that works and I think could work. We might be making an announcement in about a month on some other things that we want to do because... We want to make the next year of the Major Spoilers experience a very exciting one. A very special Major Spoilers. We'll talk more about the Major Spoilers experience on this weekend's show, but until then, let's sit back and hear Matthew tell us why, Matthew, why should people put a little money in the tip jar this week? Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Skippy. Skippy is an Afghan Spaniel. Oh, poor Skippy. He's lovable, and he's looking for a home, (laughs) and he's rapidly running out of time. If you donate to Major Spoilers, you can give Skippy a home. And if you don't, then we'll kill this dog. (laughs) (laughs) I cracked myself up. 
everybody who does <laughs> donate $10 or more into the Major Spoilers at Tip Jar. It's right there on the front page of Major Spoilers. Make a donation. $10 or more. We will give you a shout out at the top of the show. And hopefully we can give that money to Skippy so that Matthew doesn't wring his neck this weekend. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that would be really and- nice of you if you did. And remember, folks, if you want to hear me mispronounce your name, make sure that you send your full name, too, because it's always good to have somebody <laughs> whose name is like Ralph, but the middle name is Tedesco to where I can really just <laughs> F it up. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, I got this uh, note, a really nice package uh, this weekend. I was really surprised. Went Thank to the you. Mailbox. I'm quite happy with my package. Yes, I went to the mailbox with my son this weekend, got this box, and he was he thought it was for mom, and so he's coming into the... Uh, into the house and he's kind of tossing it on the floor, you know, as, as little three-year-olds do. And, hey, mom, mom, open this package. And mom was like, I don't think that's for you. And so I picked it up and I saw it was for me and I started to open it. And uh, the first thing that I see is this PS number one on this letter. And it says, please be very careful when removing the stuff from the, uh, from the, to- from this box, or it could be, uh, it could break very easily. And I'm like, oh, great. Here's my three-year-old slinging these things around. But uh, I read this a uh, note. It says, hi, Stephen, here, uh, here's my way to say thanks for all the hours and hours of free, awesome entertainment that you have given us. I hope you guys like the present. Look for figures that could uh, represent your characters. And since I couldn't find any, I made some modifications to have them look like you. If you don't like them, then in the words of Conan, to hell with you. Uh, no, no, seriously, thank you for both Critical Hit and Major Spoilers. Your biggest friend, Aldo. And, um, you know, really when I opened this up, I was like, oh, what is this? And saying things that look like me and look like us. And what do I open up? But five metal figures for, uh, that represent each of the characters or each of the four characters in, um, the critical hit podcast, as well Mm -hmm. as one of the, uh, NPCs that Rodrigo has played in the game. And these things, Matthew, I don't know if you saw the uh, article that I posted on the major spoiler site. These things are incredibly detailed, and some people were pointing out that uh, that he probably went in and, and did some custom modifications on these things to add things that weren't there, like removing Randus's arm or uh, or creating the little uh, spider bot that mm-hmm. uh, that Randus has as his familiar. The and assistant. Holy crap! He wrote us months ago saying, "Well, what color is uh, Torque's skin, and what color are, are Orm's robes?" And we were kind of eh, whatever, you know, answering him back. Had no idea this was coming. I think what I like best is the whole Wrath of Khan chest piece that Orem has going on there. <laughs> Joaquin. Yeah, but see, unlike uh, Ricardo Maltabon, that is the Bring their shields down. Yeah. <laughs> Ricardo Maltabon did not wear a false chest. But I just thought that these were really awesomely cool, Matthew, and I, I really thank Aldo for that. And really, even Wizards of the Coast sent us some minifigures, uh, miniatures this past week to use in the Critical Hit game. And listeners, if you don't know what Critical Hit is, you are in for a treat head over to major spoilers click on the major spoilers podcast and uh, listen to critical hit we've had a lot of people over the last couple of weeks just starting to listen to our dungeons and dragons um real gameplay show and people are going back and and starting from the very beginning and and saying hey wait i'm already up into the 30s already and i want more and uh, i tell you what season two (laughs) is just the ending of season two is just around the corner and it is going to be season one epic no this is season two season one was the first eight episodes of the whole moonhold thing and we've been in i wasn't in season one yeah you were yeah i showed up in like issue six no you were in season one you were in episode like two or three everybody but everybody but smith uh showed up in uh season one so check that out i really appreciate uh 
really appreciate what Aldo did. And in fact, all of us, all yeah. of us really appreciate it. Rodrigo, I've, called I've him been up. a fan of Aldo's ever since he released that single Fantasy back in the <laughs> summer of 79. <laughs> I think that's Aldo Nova, right? Yeah, that's that's who this is, no, right? No, no, that's not this guy. This is Aldo. How many people else. named Aldo can there be in the world? Well, huh, you might be surprised. <laughs> life is just a fantasy. Can you live this fantasy life? <laughs> we had another uh, email last week uh, come in off after our conversation last week from Jordan the Geek. He says, hey, Stephen Matthew and fake Rigo or Pope. Hello, <laughs> I'm here. I wanted to add something to the Hastings versus local comic book shop discussion that you guys had last week. I live in New York, so we don't have a Hastings here. But any chain store I've been in does not have employees who take an interest in their customers, even the loyal ones. I've been visiting my LCS every week for the past two months. Thanks for getting me into the comic books, by the way. And all the employees know me by name. It took two months for the guys, three weeks for the woman. I don't know about uh, other people, but when I uh, feel that I'm valued in a personal business relationship and can have a conversation with the employees about what I like, what I don't, and what they recommend, I'm much more likely to come back and trust their suggestions to check out other series than when I have a credit or debit have a nice day relationship with whoever is at the uh, cash register at the time. Keep on keeping on, Jordan the Geek. You know, that was something that we didn't talk about last week, Matthew, with the Hastings Mm. thing. I think for me, I didn't really, it didn't really register because uh, we have no local comic book shop. Register. I get it. It's get it? funny because it's true. We don't have a local comic book shop here, so I'm forced to go to Hastings. And I would bet that in most of the Hastings locations, I would—I don't want to say, I would say probably a lot of those Hastings locations, you might be hard-pressed to find a local comic book shop in your area. Now, I know that's not the case everywhere. B. Clay Moore, who lives up in uh, Kansas City, he he's got a Hastings locally, and of course, there's tons of comic book stores in the in the Kansas City area. Uh, he and I were having a discussion about that, and um, and I know probably not too far from you, there's a Hastings, right, Matthew? In uh, there's there's one in Topeka, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's you know, I think, nowhere near Huntoon and Gage, <laughs> no, home right. of Gatekeeper Hobbies, and I won't tell you where it is. You'll have to figure it out for your own damn self. I guess maybe. Uh, Jordan's got a different experience than me because in all the years that I've been going to comic book shops, except for the one that we had here in Hayes, Gulliver's Tattered Covers, um, there was really no personal relationship. It was I turn in my I turn in my uh, weekly my monthly polls and get my stuff and I'm in and I'm out and that's it. When I was in California, there was definitely not a personal experience. You're Steven. Though. That's right. And I don't like people. Steven, Steven does not reach out and build those relationships. And I think that, you know, with all due respect and no disrespect, men, I think Steven may actively work against that because Steven is Steven and Steven is going to do the Steven thing. And if you get in Steven's way, then God help you. <laughs> but I can tell you that, you know, from shopping both at a series of excellent comic shops and a few that were lame. It's really easy to to buy my loyalty by just going, hey, that book that wasn't on your pull list last week or that book you couldn't find, we got you a copy. Right. Or, hey, Matthew, um, I hear there's a new Legion book. You know, just something that identifies the fact that I am something more than customer number 900222, tertiary adjunct of sector 935. You know, if if I have a Borg experience, Mm -hmm. well... I'm I'm pretty much done, honestly. The local Dillon's people know me by name. The banks, all the banks uh, in Topeka, there's like five capital city bank locations. They know Mm -hmm. 
They're mm-hmm. like, hello, Mr. Peterson. Some of them shorten my name. That pisses me off. But what am I going to do? You know, it's, it's one of <laughs> no, those they're things. They're calling you a dick, not Peter. Come on. No, shut your <laughs> face. Did you know that Schleicher is German for F you? <laughs> No, anyway. I totally agree. If you can have a personal experience, I know that's a that is a great experience, and I know a lot of people look forward to that. Uh, and so that's probably right. Uh, but I, you know, kind of reiterating what I was saying last week, Hastings as a national chain doing this is really kind of a good thing because it might get more people to see and get interested in comics. And really, that's kind of what we're all about. I would agree. All right. As long as they're not like shutting out cool stores like Gatekeeper Hobbies, I'm doing engage Topeka. No, you have a game room and you have D and D, which is a lot ask me ask me what, what I got to do this weekend. What did you get to do this weekend? We spent five hours cataloging back issues, and the first thing off the stack, he's like, "Okay, here's Flash 110, the first appearance of Wally West." Cool. And then it got it got even better from there. And for five hours, the boss and I were sitting there going, I think that's a 3.0. That's a 6.0. That's a $287 book. It was awesome. Excellent. It excellent, really, really excellent. saved my week. Well, we're really glad when people write to us, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. That's always fun. What we really like is for people to call us uh, at our hotline number, and we'll have some elements after the show for you to listen to. Um, 785-867-5309. Right. That's not for the. Price of a dime, you can always turn to us. No, that's that's not it. 785-727-1939. It would have been 1938, but Stephen likes Batman more like than Batman more than Superman. Yes, I do. Although we had our curb painted today. The, they come around and paint your, your numbers on the curb, and they say, oh, you can have all these little designs. And Chata was like, hey, there's a Star Wars one. And I was like, oh, that's cool, but there's a Superman one. Let's get that painted on the curb. So right next to our house number is a Superman logo. So very You live very in cool. Hayes, Kansas. Your house number is nine. <laughs> All it right, used everybody. to be 13. You had to write that one down. <laughs> Lots of good stuff over at the Majorspoilers.com website, including a lot of reviews. And we're going to get into some right now. We're going to spread these. Uh, we're going to spread the reviews out from a bunch of different companies this week. But why don't we go ahead, Matthew, really quickly? We didn't get a dueling review posted on the website this week. <laughs> power Girl, the new team, more power. Jun Winnick, Sammy uh, Bashir, Bashri, and Art. Mm-hmm. Power Girl number thirteen, Matthew, go. Power Girl number 13 begins in a place that always frustrates me, but by the end of the issue kind of does interesting things. We start with Power Girl talking about what a wonderful day it is and how everything's going to be awesome. And then everything goes straight to hell in a handbasket. And by the end of the issue, it really feels like the new writing team is trying to destroy the status quo of the old writing team so they can move on and do something that they want to do. Matthew, have you and I had a conversation before the show about Power Girl number 13? No, we have not. See, you and I, once again, line up exactly because my whole comment about this series is this. You see that? That's the sound of me wiping my hands clean of this whole damn series. Like I told people months ago when it was announced that Palmiotti, Gray, and Connor were leaving the series, I said, I don't know how much longer I'm going to stick around. And it was like, well, give it a chance. I gave it a chance. That's it. No more Power Girl for me. I don't know what it is with creators every time they come on board that they have to undo everything that the previous creators did. You know, Power Girl was such a great series 
as kind of a self-contained universe where, you know, we didn't have to worry about Power Girl meeting up with Batman or Power Girl uh, getting into fist, fisticuffs with, with Mongol or Mogul or any of these other people because it was its own little special precious book. What do we get in this first book? What do we get in this first issue by, uh, by Winnick and company? Oh, we get... Let's undo everything about uh, the Star Industries or whatever that uh, Kara's uh, company is called Starware. by sending it into uh, bankruptcy. And then let's make most of the issue a tie-in to frickin' uh, uh, Legion Lost. Yeah, Legion Lost. And it's, wow, what a waste of a comic book. One star review from me. Hated the art. <laughs> didn't care for the writing. Any other thoughts, Matthew? <laughs> I'm willing to go two and a half slices of meatloaf simply because I do like the art. I really like what the artist is doing with Kara. I like his look. I'm bothered by the fact that they feel that they need to destroy the status quo, that they need to, especially since it's been 12 issues. We really haven't done a whole lot with Starware and the supporting cast. Right. It just, you know, it, it feels really wasteful to me to take this and just oh, we're going to tear it down and we're going to put her in her lowest point. And I know it's just going to turn into, you know, a darkest power girl, a, a breastiest knight. I don't know. But I'm frustrated that – I'll tell you a story just for a moment. Sure. First, the first time I ever wrote a letter to a comic book was in the year 1980-something. <laughs> comic book. December and it was, it was about a book called something. Hawkman. Dear Hawkman, I love you. And Hawkman relaunched with Hawkman in Chicago with his school supporting cast and all this stuff. And then the new writer came on board. Yeah. And the first thing the writer did was destroy, literally set on fire, the place where everything was taking place, killing characters on panel. And I wrote in and I'm like, dude, this is so awkward. And so on. And they're like, well, nobody likes change. Well, F you. Of course nobody likes change, but it can be done well. Yeah. This is bordering. For me, this is bordering on too much. Well, I hope that the Power Girl book survives. Tara simply gets, because Tara gets a one panel, how do you do, and then that's it. And then it's, uh, what, 15 pages of Rock'em Sock'em Omac robots. And yeah, Omacs. I hate Omacs. And then it's a uh, one-page wrap-up of, where are you? I can't believe you missed the meeting. We're bankrupt. Starware is gone. Well, and the thing that's really frustrating is we've Excuse seen me. these moments before from Generation Lost number. Right. I think it's one or two. It's one or, yeah, there's, one or two. There's nothing added exactly. to the story by here, seeing it again. It's not like we get Power Girl's completely different take on it. It's not like Rashomon where they do a riff on it where Power Girl and Booster were on completely different pages. Well, and you know what? And it's not like Power Girl, you know, magically maintains her memory of what happened to try and even stay in this. So it's just well, what, doesn't, what doesn't make any sense to me is we get a whole uh, page spread that essentially tells Power Girl's origin story, two pages almost, two pages, of Power Girl's origin story 13 issues into a series that people have already fallen in love with. We already know who Power Girl is. Or most of the people well, who are picking this, this is, book up. This, this is, is not a, a, this this is a great not a, jumping on point. This is not a good jumping on part, point at all. Because if you don't, if you haven't been reading um, Legion Lost, you're not going to know what's going on in here. Generation Lost. Generation Lost. Uh, it's lost I, ugh, ugh. I'm very, you know, just a few weeks ago, I was like, hey, you know, Jed Winnick isn't so bad on what he's doing here. But when I get to this, uh, Jed Winnick is not not won any any uh, points with me this week. 
My friend Jim said something that I think is hysterical. Which is? Who do you think is going to be gay? Well, uh, I was listening to an interview with the Palmiati uh, this past week. And he said, you know, when they closed out issue 12, there was this whole bit with uh, Tara and Power Girl essentially laying around naked and just talking about feelings for one, one another and how they felt about one another. And he said, depending on your kink, you could read it either that they're gay for one another or that they're just really, really great super friends. Right. Well, I think we know which way the story's going to go. You know, and this is the thing for me. That's not even a deal breaker. I think it would be it's interesting. Not. But it seems like it's 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 kind of a toy that we've seen out of that particular box before. Yeah. It, it, you know what? Having Kara be an out gay character, having Kara be a high-profile lesbian in the DCU would be great up to a point when you realize that Kara is known mostly for having enormous breasts and being a giant bitch. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, it'd be great to have the head of the JSA All-Stars be, you know, openly gay and be this this strong character. But then everybody would be upset because she's a bitch. Yeah. So, yeah, two and a half for me. I, right. I'm more forgiving than you are. I'm still on board, but Judd better really start wowing me. Sadly, because of the way my uh, my comic book relationships works with my distributor, I have to order three months in advance. So, sadly, I know for sure I've got issues 14 and 15 already on their way. And they I can't really, awesome. I can't really, well, they could be, but if this isn't any indication of what's to come, high hopes are really sinking for me. Now, come back in a month. Maybe I'll change my mind, but this one, P.U., P-U to P-G. All right. Uh, let me talk about something that I actually got a kick out of. Uh, Matthew, did you like, um, what was that movie, uh, Pulp Fiction? Quentin Tarantino? Of course sleep. you do. Of course you do. You quote it all the time. <laughs> Remember what the does Master Yoda look like? <laughs> you quote it all the time. At the beginning of the movie, there's a great conversation between Samuel L. and, uh, and John Travolta, where they're talking about... Uh, women's feet and massaging a woman's feet and they're talking about not even uh, the same, that's not the same ballpark that ain't even the same sport <laughs> they're talking about uh, the the royale with cheese and all of that and it's a very quirky interesting introduction to these two characters who t- turn out to be hitmen uh bullet to the head from dynamite entertainment yeah, one, yeah. came out last week and it is an extended intro scene to pulp fiction where you have two characters who I don't even remember what their names are. We'll Um, call them Jules and Vincent. We'll call them Jules and Vincent. And they have a conversation about shoes. The white guy is, uh, well, I guess they're both white guys. We'll call it the the blonde-haired Chuck Norris character is talking all about $2,000 shoes and how... You can't, you know, a man can't be a man unless he's got expensive shoes. And his partner, who looks a lot kind of like a John Travolta in that uh, most recent movie where he's got the goatee and everything going, is talking about, hey, sneakers and, and a suit works great for me. And they're just having this continued conversation throughout the entire book as they approach to go uh, do a hit on this senator who's having sex with an underage girl. And a fair bit of warning, bullet to the head is an adult mature yeah, only yeah. because there are there are boobies. In this uh, in this in this comic, so if boobies they don't belong to the underage girl, do they? Well, they don't. I don't think they say underage. Let's see what did they actually say here, because that is kind of a problem. Let's just say it's not his. It's not his. A let's just say it's a younger girl. Not let's say she's legal, but much younger than he. You know what I say? 
What's that? It is wrong to tip the vessel of knowledge, Stephen Schleicher. Why is that? Bullet to the head. Yeah, yeah! <laughs> it says just with a dead young girl, so you can read that however you like. She lives by herself. Let's we'll say she's 18 and Let's say she's 19. 19, 20. She's younger than the senator who they 37. killed. 37. She's 37 and it years kicks old. Off, it just kicks off this investigation of who knocked off the senator and what clues did these two guys leave behind. It's... You know, I was reading it, and the first thing in my mind is, hey, this is Pulp Fiction. I'm not going to like this. And then it turns out that it's uh, really well done Pulp Fiction by, uh, by Matz, M-A-T-Z, with art by uh, Colin Wilson. It's kind of difficult to see to kind of figure out what time period this is set in. I mean, you figure out that it's a modern time period, although from the first half of the book, it could very easily have been set in the 70s. Uh, Didn't Colin great. Wilson star in that Marley and Me movie with the dog? I don't know. All I, know is that, all I know is that the uh, dog died at the end, so there you go. Uh, surprising book. It was a really fun read. I looked at it, and just from the cover and from the content inside, you wouldn't think that this would be something from Dynamite Entertainment, because let's be frank, they've been doing Green Hornet, uh, Green Hornet, Green Hornet, Red Sonja, Green Hornet, and <laughs> uh, The Boys, and so I didn't expect this from Dynamite Entertainment, and it is a great little book. Issue one, three ninety nine, four out of five slices of meatloaf for me. Fun, nice. pick it up. It is mature, so if you're going to get in trouble for having naked boobies in your comic books, uh, do be aware. Why get in trouble? Well, what you know, some I of eat? our some of our younger some of our younger listeners. Ah, uh, I thought you were speaking to me and not the listeners. Well, you might listeners. get in trouble too. I don't know. Listeners at home, do not read this book unless you are comfortable with boobies and over the age of 18. Yes. <coughs> and for some of Pardon you out me. there, it might be a draw to the book. And they're only in there for like four panels, so. Mm-hmm. There you go. If you're allergic to boobies, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Speaking of which. Okay. Image Comics. Several years ago, Image Comics launched a book called Noble Causes by a man named Jay Farber. Yeah. And Jay Farber later did a book for Image that I thought was even more awesome than Noble Causes, and it outlived Noble Causes by, like, what, three, four months. And now we return to the universe of Dynamo 5 with Dynamo 5, Sins of the Father, Part 1. Cool. Which is pretty awesome when you think about it. Uh, At the end of the Dynamo 5 series, the Dynamo 5 kids, all of whom are the illegitimate children of a man named Captain Dynamo, who is really, for all intents and purposes, the Martian Manhunter. He's an alien who came to Earth. He has super strength, laser vision, flight, shape-shifting, and telepathy. And was later killed, and notoriously was a huge philanderer. Has hundreds of illegitimate children around the world with hundreds of different women. These five characters came together, gained superpowers. At the end of the book, which I think is interesting, everyone's powers were swapped around. This happened in Power Pack, too, in about 1990. They weren't the illegitimate sons of superheroes, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and the Dynamo Five are now in their first adventure with their new powers, where Scrap, who used to be the strong girl, now has the laser powers, and the one who was the telepath can now fly, and the one who could fly is the shapeshifter, and the shapeshifter is tel- telepathic, and the guy who had the laser vision is now super strong. At the same time, an evil government agent is creating a team to stop them and there's this entertaining bit where we actually see bits and pieces of everyone's home life um the the cutest member of the group has a boyfriend 
mm-hmm. uh, the weird member. You know, the geeky guy is dating another superhero. And apparently years ago, an alien came to Earth named Dominex. And we see a flashback to a really entertaining series <laughs> where Dominex arrives and he's like, I am Dominex. Bring me your greatest champion. And Captain Dynamo flies out to meet him. And so does Omni-Man from Invincible. And so does Supreme from Youngblood. And we get to see these three guys who are basically Superman arguing over who is really Earth's champion. And then all three getting their asses handed to them. So I like that bit. <laughs> Yeah, especially the part where Supreme gets punched ass over tea kettle. That that entertains me. Um, it's actually really interesting because it ends with Dominix having three illegitimate children. Yeah, but isn't that might... how the main Dynamo series ends? He's got five illegitimate kids. Now we've got three illegitimate kids. His villain has three sons. Ah, and, Cap- and Captain Dynamo has five, five sons and daughters. And then they come together and they move into a house in California with their dog, Tiger. <laughs> There's also an entertaining backup story about a character named Notorious who starts the issue by busting up a mob uh, weapons buy. Yeah. And ends his story by answering the phone and being told by the head of the mob that somebody just messed up our gun deal. Uh-oh. And he wants, he has to come in. So it's basically a mobster who is also doubling as a superhero who's taking down the mob. Yeah, okay. It's interesting. Now, kind of Green part of Hornet-ish. Piece, it's interesting, yeah. I like the Green Hornet parallel now that you mentioned it. I hadn't thought about it. Dynamo 5 kind of ended, I think, because um, DC poached their artist. Mm. Um, Mahmoud Asrar, who's drawing, driving, driving? drawing Legion of Superheroes, was oh, on yeah, Dynamo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have a new artist, and his name is Brilla, and I think he may actually be Turkish as well, or possibly Argentinian, I'm not sure. Julio Brilla, he's good. He has a very simple style, very clean style. It looks a lot like Mahmoud Azrar's work, which mm-hmm. is good. Yeah. All the characters look similar, if not the same. And they manage to maintain something that, you know, the book has always done, which is really pretty girls. Three Good. of the team members are, you know, really pretty. Two right. of them are girls. Right. Uh, there's a character who appears in here called War Chest, <laughs> who is an existing villain who, um, she got huge tracks of land. And I was going to say, st- she got a War Chest going on for her. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's kind of her whole shtick. Okay. She wears a corset. Okay. Up, uh, and above which she has a balcony off which one could do Shakespeare. <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not as scurrilous and, and prurient as it might sound, which is nice. Um, I'm a big fan of Dynamo 5. I'm a big fan of Jay Farber's work. I really like this issue as a relaunch. I like where they're going with it. I like the characters' new names better than their old names. The old team was, um, let's see, Scatterbrain, yeah. Scrap, mm-hmm. Slingshot, Myriad and Visionary. And they are now called Menagerie, Ramjet, The Wraith, <laughs> Supervision, and uh, Punchy Punchy. I don't okay. remember what the fight name is, but <laughs> the names notwithstanding, it's the characters that really sell this. Farber does really good work with the characters. Dynamo 5, Sins of the Father, Part 1 of 5, Four Slices of the Old Mitalofa. All right, there we go. So it looks like the independents uh, actually do a pretty good job this week, or I should say everyone other than the big two, which we're going to call, or I'm going to call independents, had some pretty good books this past week. 
Well, it is the Independence Day holiday impending, wah, so obviously. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to us talk about some of our comics we've been reading. I actually made a point this week, Matthew. Sometimes, you know, last uh, Saturday we just talked about all the comics we haven't been reading because we get mm-hmm. busy with other stuff. I made a point that this week I read every comic that came in. And really? I feel pretty proud of myself. I re- went through about 15 comics in about two days. Every comic in the world? No, no. Every comic that came into us this past week, I read. and Or that I ordered this week, I read. So I felt pretty good about this. None of this. I'm going to read these two, and the rest of the ten will sit over here for now. So ah, that just means more reviews, and you can find more reviews over at Majorspoilers.com. Reviews are done. It's time for Matthew's favorite part of the show. It's time for the millions in attendance. And the poor bastards who watched Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it's time. Poll of the week. Poll of the week this week. Week, 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 week. Thing week, ring, week. do your thing. Stop doing that. <laughs> What's it the it took the- me 15 <laughs> years to get that thing out of my head. And right now, you know what's going to happen next? The Fred and Barney show is going to be stuck in my head. <laughs> Thing Pebbles and Bam Bam and all of the gang. <laughs> something, 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 and I will hang myself. Well, that was that was actually going to be one of the rings along with a couple of other rings for this week's poll. But you always complain when I put more than two in there. I don't so, have a problem uh, with more than two. I have a problem with 11. <laughs> you can well, do when you three. Have a, you can when you have four. 10 doctors, you kind of have to have 10 doctors. But Yes, the, but the you the don't question, have to have 11 different choices of, hey, do you like pie? You know, there's a lot of, well, let's see, there's meringue pie and cherry pie. And you don't do that. Pie, you're like, yes, apple no, pie, and maybe pumpkin pie. up and down occasionally <laughs> 3.1415. Because if I don't, if I don't put in that, oh <laughs> uh, boy, uh, you know, uh, when I don't put in the none of the above, people get all irate. Or where's my selection for none of the above? Where's my selection <laughs> for Sinestro Core Ring? Where's my selection for Pretty Pretty Princess Ring? Blah, blah, blah. Why, this do I week, Why am I talking like this? This week we, don't we are work. examining the jewelry worn on the hand of heroes in the DC universe, and I've narrowed it down to two choices. Which of the following rings would you rather wear? Would you rather wear a Green Lantern ring, or would you yes. rather wear a Legion of Superheroes ring? Why, no, Matthew? wait, seven. Um, this is a tough one. A lot. I, I really feel that this is not a fair comparison. Well, yes and but, no, depending on, and depending on the way you approach it. I purposefully left it open-ended without saying, get into the meta of your answer. Oh, uh, people are inherently power hungry and yes. people want to go, I can have this ring that does all this cool stuff, or I can have this ring that makes me awesome. Right. But not, you know. So I think a lot of people have chosen what they've chosen right. because of what they think. When I look at it, a Green Lantern ring seems to do three things. Mm-hmm. One, it gives you the ability to channel your willpower into energy. Right. Now, let's let's talk about willpower for just a moment. I'm a 375-pound man who enjoys internet pornography. Willpower and I meet occasionally. <laughs> willpower. You know he lives next door. Yeah, willpower. He's a professional wrestler. I think he wears, like, black tights, right? Had a, had a feud with Noodles McIntyre, right? I think he just took the cruiserweight title from the amazing Laszlo. But the Legion of Superheroes, if you have that Legion ring, you have the ability, you know, you could fly into space unaided. 
Yeah. You can fly. You can call on your Legion buddies. You can go, Matter Eater Lad, come help, and Matter Eater Lad will come eat your lawn. So I mean, the Legion ring gives you flight. It gives you a super protective shell. The it's trans your, suit. Yes. It's your com- communicator device. Correct. It's also yes. an emergency uh, signal. If you turn the L 90 degrees, it sets off a signal and it brings the entire force of the Legion of Superheroes down to save you. It's not a weapon, though. It depends on how you look at it. I mean, it. it doesn't shoot a beam of light or energy out and knock somebody out. It's not like the Green Lantern ring. Well, I looked at it from the perspective of if I were wearing a Legion ring, I would be a Legionnaire. Right. Which means that I would have to have a unique superpower. I'd have to be super strong or super fast or able to eat through matter. Or in the case of Kara Zorel, whose unique superpower is apparently able to birth Kryptonian children, which works. You have to have that power. Whereas if I'm a Green Lantern, it means that I'm fearless. It means that I'm honest. And generally, it means that I'm either cannon fodder or an enormous douchebag. So I chose <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes ring, the Legion <laughs> ring, the flight ring, because I feel that willpower plus douchebag is really <laughs> equals, just equals Hal Jordan. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. It's not that I hate Hal Jordan. It's just that I want to punch him in the face repeatedly. Well, you know, a lot of people went with that. I mean, uh, my first thought was, oh, I'll go with Green Lantern because I can make these uh, scantily clad French maids walking around like, uh, like, um, what's his face did? Uh, bowl cut. Uh, Guy Gardner. Guy Garner, yes. And other people were like, hey, it's the most powerful weapon in the universe. I want it for that. Even uh, Bruce Otter, our good friend Bruce Otter, says, all due respect to Matthew and his Legion love, but even as his roommate with innumerable lessons in Legion continuity, I still couldn't get into the book. I actually managed to read and enjoy Green Lantern for a couple of years, so I want the Green Lantern ring. If I had my ultimate yeah, choice, I would have chosen the Kyle Alan Scott Rain- ring. Schmuck. <laughs> Kyle Rayner liker. <laughs> you know, other people, you know, it was really surprising because as you go through the 30 plus comments on this poll, which is, you know, for as low number of people that have responded so far this week, this has been one of the few polls that has had a, the most comments. And most of them are people saying, hey, I would go with Legion. I would go with Legion. I looked at it more not power wise, but to me, it's like, what, what is my responsibility for having one of these rings? If you've got a Legion ring, well, you know, they could have been nice and just given you a Legion ring for tormenting you for, for uh, you know, 22 pages in a comic book. <laughs> said, hey, we like you, Jimmy Olsen. Here's a Legion uh, ring. <laughs> Somewhere out there, I actually read a story where they, they re- somebody read dialogue, Bouncing Boys entry into the team. And they're all like, well, we're going to let you on because your dad has a Camaro and you're rich. And he's like, you don't really like me? And we're like, no, we think you're an idiot. <laughs> So there's that. I mean, but, you know, the Legion ring, you can do a lot of things with it. You're pretty much invulnerable. You've got the uh, you've well, got the power of flight. Well, I mean, well, you know, radiation isn't going to get you. A building could obviously fall on you, but, I mean, you could go into the vacuum of the, space and your head's not going to explode. But The transit would protect you, yes. Yeah. But if you went with a Green Lantern ring, you are part of a military force. You have a lot of police responsibilities. You have to decide what is right and what is wrong. And quite frankly, you have to have the ability to show no fear or to have a great will, depending on who's rewriting the continuity this week. And that may be just too much responsibility for for me to want to take. I don't want to be a part of a military police force and tell people how to live their lives. I just want to float around and and, uh, make fun of uh, teenagers from the 1950s. So I went with uh, the Legion ring. 
just because of that, because I don't want to patrol a whole space sector. I agree. I think this kind of calls back to the Star Wars versus Star Trek discussion. Would you rather be a knight or a cowboy? Because knights, you know, the the Green Lanterns are knights with a code of honor and fearless and honest. And we, you know, we flip around and the only thing you're allowed to do is be a womanizer. (laughs) Whereas the Legion is kind of like cowboys and Indians. And, you know, they're... In a way, they started out as kids. They had fun. Mm-hmm. You know, contractually, they were turned into toddlers every once in a while. I think to me that that's the appeal of the Legion. Problem is, the vast majority of spoilerites yes. are voting differently. Three three sixty. Ha <laughs> ha! It's going to make the <laughs> math easy. Three hundred and sixty <laughs> votes in the bag right now. Eighty percent of the people voting Green Lantern. 20%, or in this case, 72 people voting for Legion, as I like to call it, the right answer, whereas <laughs> 80% of the people are saying Green Lantern. And I can see why you'd want to be a Green Lantern, but you have to remember the Green Lantern oath. Yes. You know, brightest it's day the- and darkest night, no evil shall escape my sight. But those who beans, fear beans, the magical fruit. No, wait. <laughs> so have some beans at every meal, Burma shave, something like that. You know, the, the oath of a Green Lantern is some pretty serious, you know. Yes, it is. Isn't it? And it's a, it's a threat. Whereas, you remember what the Legion's oath is? I don't know. What is the it? Legion, the Legion's oath is, I am a Legionnaire. <laughs> My name's Tenzel and I eat stuff. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, the craft table's over there. I feel like the Legion is a, is a more tenable organization for me because I am basically kind of a hipster doofus at heart. Right. Right. And when, when I go to work, they're like, here are all of the paperwork that you will need to fill out. And here is the, I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to coach my agents now. Thank you. Drive through. Yeah. As a legionnaire, I would be like meteor attractor boy or, or lint lad. I would have like a power that isn't massive, but I would use it in awesome ways. And eventually they'd retcon me and I'd be evil. And then I'd take over the world and destroy everything. And Tyrock would have to come stop me in his little disco Elvis pixie outfit. Excellent. And then Tyrock would be awesome, and then they'd reboot me again, and I'd go back to my original conf thing, you know, so it'd be awesome. So uh, Tyrock is from a planet or from an island? Tyrock, Troy Stewart, is from the island of Marzal. Yes. Which historically appeared on Earth every 100 years. And Not Marzal so like, was uh, populated entirely by African Americans or uh, right. people of African descent. And at the time... In the 70s, it was their attempt to explain where the black people were in the Legion. <laughs> okay. But Marzal is an <laughs> island dimension, essentially, that intersects Earth. Ah, so okay. it's not a planet, per se. It's not just an island. It's another dimension. Another dimension. Another dimension. Another dimension. Another dimension. You can cast your vote in this week's Major Spoilers Poll of the Week by heading over to, guess what, Majorspoilers.com, being part of the whole Major Spoilers experience, casting your vote. Let your opinion be heard, your whys, the wins, the wheres, why, other, why you are right and everyone else is wrong. Keep it clean. Keep it civil. Have fun. We'll be right back after this to talk about... John Constantine. Intergalactic Planetary! This is Dragos Kai, the Snarky Review Guy, coming coming to you once again from the slightly rainy but still beautiful streets of Florida. I wanted to take a break from doing my review of Scott Pilgrim, since it seems to be me saying the same thing over and over again. 
I'm starting to sound like the old uh, the old uh, Green Lantern reviews that you guys were doing at the beginning of the podcast. I want I've got my hands on a copy of House of Mystery number 26. Now it's the first time that I've ever picked up House of Mystery. It's on my pull list now, and you know even though I got a copy of this for quote review, I am going to buy it as well when it comes out in August. It's very interesting. The art in it, the art direction in it is amazing. It's from Vertigo Comics. So, you know, you got that whole, and it's Vertigo Mature. So, yeah, you got that whole thing going for you, which is nice. Um, You go from puppets that are trying to rationalize, you know, being puppets and filled with stuff in a world of humans made of flesh and blood. You have only one puppet that actually believes that, you know, we aren't supposed to exist. We're made up. I'm going to find the person that can help me, you know, pass this on to you. So they, you know, turn the page and you see the person. She's working in a bar. She's a very pretty girl. And, you know, they have the whole, like, kind of whole post-apocalyptic high fantasy, kind of, the way that in my mind rationalized it was Dark Sun in D&D. It's very good. You have, you know, a lot of humor, a few curse words, um, there's no action per se in it. There's stick drawing sex, which, you know, helps. There's zombies. Well, correction, there's a little bit of a, you know, some zombie mayhem going on in there. You know, some references that, uh, I quote from one of the women. I, I quote a conversation between two women. Oh, I do have daddy issues, though. Oh, did he try and touch you? No, but he did use me. And then she discovers she can make zombies. All in all, I'm going to give it a solid four and a half. The only thing that, you know, maybe it's because I picked it up on issue 26. I'm going to go back and see if I can't find, you know, at least the previous few to see if this storyline is actually, you know, arching back to that. But yeah, four and a half. If I get my hands on the rest of them and they're just as good, oh, this could definitely be a five. House of Mystery 26, pick it up when it comes out in August. That's all I have. This is Drago Sky, the Snarky Review Guy, signing off. My name is the Dexter102. You are listening to Major Spoilers Podcast, and you are very, very lucky because you are about to get a 61-second review of Series 5 or 69 of Doctor Who. So here we go. Doctor Who in 61 seconds, starting from now. Alright, big overarching plotline is there are cracks in time that are appearing throughout history where two spaces of space and time have never touched and they all come to a head in the final two-parter episode. Fine. Good points. The performances from the three leads have been great. Matt Smith, the two companions, were good. Bad things. Number one, most important, less Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat is not a good writer. Number one. Number two, you can't take the... Out of the theme tune, okay? Number three, River Song is not an interesting character. She's laboured, she's boring, and quite frankly, not well acted. Once per series. Number three, don't show us the angels moving. That's stupid. It takes the whole dramatic tension, it breaks. It. When I saw that, I went, right, that's it. It's Jump the Shark. It has been average to poor at best. But I tell you, the three standout episodes have been... The Vampires in Venice, The Lodger, and the one with Vincent van Gogh. But, for this series, one slice of meatloaf. And I tell you what, I'm going to drop this, if it gets any worse, because, quite frankly, it's been appalling.
So if it gets any worse next year, that's it. Me and Doctor Who's over. Nerd Rage has subsided. Twitter, the, at the Dexter 102. And actually, before anyone says it, I have no problem with Matt Smith at all. I think he's great. Everything else, rubbish. Peace and love. Another dimension. Another dimension. <laughs> Thanks so much, everybody, for uh, contributing some stuff to the Major Spoilers experience. And we enjoy playing uh, little bits and pieces that people might want to consider contributing. Of course, we may not always play them, but we do appreciate it when do people do send in. We really As like always, it. Major Spoilers reserves the right to edit all submissions yes. for content, age, length, and just because, well, whatever. Because I'm a dick. No. Uh, what I really like is when people call in to talk about our topic of the week, in this case, Hellblazer dangerous habits and uh, if you want to call in in the future and leave a comment that major spoilers hotline once again matthew is seven eight five seven two seven nineteen thirty nine not to be confused with eight six seven five three oh nine jenny jenny you're the girl for me so this week we are looking at hellblazer dangerous habits and came out in like 1991 and i will say this this is really my first big exposure to uh, john constantine not to be confused with John Constantine, because that sends Matthew into fits of, of uh, you'll, you'll get out. Uh, Hellblazer Dangerous Habits originally you. appeared in issues number 41 through 46 in the Hellblazer series. And I guess, Matthew, before we really get into this, because a lot of people may have heard John Constantine, a lot of people may have watched Keanu Reeves. What the mm. heck is a Hellblazer? Tell us what is this, this about, because I will say this off the top. Yes. I don't think that this is a good jumping in point for people who have never been exposed to, to a Hellblazer before. Actually, you might be surprised. Okay. Um, nobody knows what a Hellblazer is. Hellblazer is the title of the book. They were going to call it Hellraiser, but mm-hmm. it turns out that Clive Barker had that under contract. So ah, okay. Hellblazer is just what they call the book. When it initially, John Constantine showed up initially in uh, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, right? right as this mysterious character who knew everything. When his own book launched, we found out that he knew everything on a very limited scale, and it turned out he had some huge limitations and was basically an unpleasant person. But, I mean, but, what is uh, he? Is he a demon fighter? Is he just a average Joe that knows? Th- I mean, what is his, what's his shtick? He's, 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 he's this, John's this, just this guy, you know? <laughs> um, initially, he starts out wanting to be an incredibly powerful, notorious magi- magician. Ah. And that ends up getting people killed. Yes. And it ends up with him spending some time in an insane asylum. When he gets out, he finds that he can, you know, follow the threads of things and synchronicity and kind of do stuff. And he has an enlightened self-interest, but an, also kind of a... a an arbitrary way of looking at um, the heroic thing. Mm, he okay. sort of serves as kind of like a support staff to the swamp thing ah, okay. because he wants to make sure that the earth elemental knows what an earth elemental is before all hell breaks loose mm-hmm. literally later on in the book. But when we see him in his own book, John turns out to be this incredibly likable guy who has a tendency to get his friends killed. Yes. And this series is early on enough that the initial run was by Jamie Delano. Mm-hmm. I believe that was followed by a run, or it may have been Jamie Delano for 40 issues. I'm not sure. But as soon as this is like the first really big change in scope and tone for the book. Right. 
And it, it was actually kind of a, a bolt from the blue. This is what a lot of people steal from rather than the first arcs of the book. So for a lot of people, this story is the quintessential Hellblazer story. So John Constantine is dying. Mm-hmm. He's haunted by the demons of his past. He's yep. uh, got to figure out a way. Oh, yeah. People that he's killed or been killed uh, while he's been trying to do his thing. He's got cancer. He's been smoking cigarettes way too long. Coughing up his lung each and every day. He knows he's going to be condemned to hell because he's pissed off the wrong people. And he's either going to go down fighting or he's going to somehow figure out a way to uh, to get out of this deal. And so for, what, five, six issues, mm-hmm. we uh, follow Constantine as he <laughs> contemplates the meaning of life. And not the uh, not the life of Brian always look on the bright side <laughs> of life kind of stuff. Doo-doo. The the first chapter of the story starts with him literally spitting up a piece of his lung in a very grotesque, you know, on-panel sequence. You know, for 1991, I would probably say, yes, that is a very gross and disgusting sequence. But for 2010, I think most people would look at this and go, meh, I just saw somebody rip another guy in half over at Marvel. I see another guy buggering another in, in over at Dynamite. This is nothing. <laughs> so some of the violence that people are talking about and some of the grotesqueness and over the top of Garth Ennis being Garth Ennis didn't see it in this book. Maybe if you re- read it originally, maybe, but I didn't see it. I can. Well, and again, I mean, it is pretty disgusting. Someone's I mean, especially when we get to the end, when one of the characters dies from cancer in a big uh, yeah. bloody fit. I mean, that is kind of shocking, but I mean, it's not. It's not, oh, my God, they just, you know, killed that kid by chopping it in half kind of thing. Well, and if you look at what else was on the stands in 1991, 91 yes. was before Image. Yes, and it was certainly before Vertigo because was, this is this is a, definitely a DC comic. This is not a Vertigo comic. This is actually pre-Vertigo, yeah. Right. Um, Hellblazer and Swamp Thing and I believe Animal Man were retroactively designated vertigo titles after they'd been out for several you know in some cases several years right um but at this point in time the vertigo imprint didn't exist sandman was still a year or two away um dc was cleaning up from crisis on infinite earths marvel had just relaunched x-men i mean there wasn't a whole lot Mm -hmm. going on in terms of challenging storytelling and that's one of the things about this particular series i think that kind of sells it for me Again, you know, I hate to be the you weren't there guy, but right, you weren't there. Man. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Except That's while you were reading Constantine, I was picking up Flash by Mark Wade and Impulse by and by Mark Wade, and I was reading. Mark Wade was not on Impulse in nineteen ninety nine. When did uh, when did Impulse come out? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading Flash. I was, I was standing right next to you, and in you the, were in reading. The comic oh, book look, store. this Legends of the Dark Knight. It's got a pink cover and a green cover and a blue cover. That was actually let's like eighty-eight or something like that. That was eighty-eight. Uh, oh, so God. anyway, you know, Constantine discovers he goes to the doctors, wonders why he's coughing up all this weird stuff. Doctor says, "Hey, man, you got terminal cancer. You've maybe got just a few months to live. You better." Go make amends. You might might as well go out and do stuff. And and really, God, I gotta say, for like four issues, we're essentially just following this dead man around as he's moping through his life. And oh, woe is pitiful me. I need to go and and make amends with my friends. Oh, oh. and that's 
it was really depressing. I got to tell you, it's like, uh, this is not, you know, why do I want to read about a man with cancer? If I want to do that, I can go read, uh, you know, my final year or whatever that series was, uh, from, um, Harvey Peacock. Har- yeah. yeah. My cancer. Here. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I could go read that if I really wanted to. And so I was it's really not about the cancer though. This story is not about a man who is sick. It's about a man hitting rock bottom and searching for a way out of something that is clearly inevitable. Yes. Well, I mean, John, John is told you are going to die. Not you mm-hmm. might die. Not mm-hmm. this could happen. Mm-hmm. You are going to die. You have terminal lung cancer. Yep. And he's and told then, that, Hey man, this is it. You're out of here. And this is not, you know, it, Something about Hellblazer that's difficult to understand is even when it took place in the DC universe, even when it was clearly, you know, Superman in the book, when it was clearly a crossover with um, Legends. Right. This is about a man, a working class guy from London who doesn't have a whole lot of money, who isn't, you know, Bruce Wayne with infinite resources. And, you know, he kind of just gets by. The first issue of this book, he comes home to his apartment after saving the world and finds that the cockroaches and the mice have taken over. Yeah. His apartment is nearly unlivable and, you know, all heck has broken loose in his absence. So it's interesting to see this character who interacts with superheroes and magicians and guys with ultimate power and earth elementals. And have him deal with something on a purely human level and have to right. find a way around it. Right. And, but and then I think part of that, though, becomes a bit of a problem because we are four years into the Hellblazer series at this point or nearly four years into this series, three and a half, depending on the numbering and how often it came out. Um, but, you know, we get introduced to characters like Ellie and we make references mm-hmm. to Kit. We go to the mm-hmm. Cambridge Club and we're introduced to what... I can only presume is an angel towards the end of that particular issue. And we don't really know if this is the first time you're reading this trade and you've never read any uh, Hellblazer stuff before. I'm lost. I'm like, okay, I don't know who this Ellie is until her eyes flashed red. I really don't know who uh, this guy at the, at the Cambridge club is until um, uh, Constantine says something to the effect about the man upstairs. Isn't going to like what you're doing, dealing with some of these scum of the earth and just turning a blind eye to their acts. And you're not doing anything to save me. You know, that's, that's when things start to click. So a lot of it, when you're trying to figure out who all of these characters are, it, it loses me, especially when I think it's at the beginning of the second issue, he wakes up from a fever dream or he's in the middle of a dream where he's actually experiencing death and he goes to the light and he's surrounded by all these people who have died while he's doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't doesn't do anything for me because I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know John's relationship with his sister or his niece because I haven't read anything before. So a lot of that. I think is going to be lost on people who are jumping into this book for the first time. That's all I'm saying. Now, if you well, read, the, majority, if you read the, the rest of the Hellblazer series, then maybe all of this makes sense. But again, eh, that's, that's, just from, that's just from my experience reading this. The majority of the people that you've talked about, this is their first appearance. Oh, really? Okay. Brendan and Kit, we've never seen before. The oh, man really? in the Cambridge okay. Club, right. we've never seen before. Really? Ellie, we've never seen before. This is their first appearances. Um, I would just think at the way that, I mean, just the way that the story is told, it seems mm-hmm. like these characters have been introduced before and readers oh. are expected to know who they are. That's, that's really different if this really is the first time that we've seen them. 
Nope. Um, now, we have briefly met his niece and his sister. We have, you know, interacted with all of the ghosts in that sequence are yes. people who we've seen die, yes. but none of them are really high-profile characters. The point of John isn't why these people died. It's that there are so many of these people that have died. Right. Now, do and, we is this the, also the first time that we've met this uh, number one devil? The first of the, the first fallen. Of the yes. fallen. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that we've seen him here? Yep. Oh, okay. Because, you know, uh, at one time he goes – at one point he goes to visit his friend Brendan thinking that maybe there's some magics that uh, might be able to save him from this cancer. And he goes all the way up and uh, he, Brendan is a lifelong alcoholic, loves the alcohol, takes uh, takes John down into this this cave that he discovers beneath this tower that he's been living in. And he says, hey, St. Patrick actually camped here and look at this pool of holy water that's here. And if I do these uh, magic rituals, I can turn this holy water into any alcoholic beverage that I like. And as long as the candles are burning, this will be, uh, you know, an alcoholic beverage, you know, and and this alcohol will stay that way. And come on, uh, John, get drunk with me on on this night. And then we find out that Brendan is actually dying. This is his last night on Earth, and he wanted to go out with a bang with his friend. And then he says, "Uh, but I've got a problem. Because the devil's coming for my soul, and sure enough, the first of the fallen shows up and says, yep. hey, I'm supposed to take his uh, soul before midnight. And Constantine's like, oh, okay, it's five minutes to midnight. Surely there's a way I can save my best friend from going to, to hell uh, to, to void this contract. And he says, hey, Mr. Devil Man, why don't you drink, have a drink with me uh, over right. this uh, corpse of my friend to take a minute? And the devil says, sure, why not? And then uh, as they're drinking... Constantine says, yeah, how do you like that holy water? And the devil's like, what? And Constantine puts out the candles, though the alcohol turns back to holy water and the devil burns and gets sent to hell. And his friend Brendan apparently goes to, I don't know, where would you go? I mean, he's made a deal with the devil. Even if he's out of the contract, you would think he's still going somewhere bad. Purgatory, perhaps. That's a whole religious discussion for another time. But, uh, but you know, he beats, he beats the devil. Constantine beats the devil. And I like that aspect of the story. That's every time that we've talked about Constantine or Hellblazer, if we've encountered him in other forms, either in traditional DC books or, um, uh, through that, through that movie, you know, he's outwitting, he's outwitting the, the forces, uh, that are beyond our, our limitations. And I enjoyed that part of the story. All right. Thoughts on that, Matthew? I mean, is that, I mean, is this well, kind of typical stuff that we see from that? There's almost no such thing as typical when it comes to Hellblazer. I mean, the, the things that are, that are really typical of this book, the moment where John tells Brendan, I want, I came to find you because I thought your magic could save my life. I've got right, cancer. Right. And Brendan starts laughing and he's like, oh, I thought you could do the same for me because my liver is giving out. That is a quintessential Hellblazer moment. The moment yeah. where the devil arrives and he outsmarts him just barely. Yeah. And he gets away with something that he never should have gotten away with. That is a really good Hellblazer moment. That's yeah. one of the ultimate Hellblazer moments. And that's what sets off probably one of the greatest Hellblazer moments of all time in that John then decides to sell his soul to the devil. Yes. Well, he's already pissed it, off. He's already pissed and, off devil number one because he gave him the holy water. And then another devil. Yes. And then another devil. Yes. Making it impossible for any one of these devils. And at this point of time in DC lore, the hell was led by a triumvirate of demons. 
Right. So if any one demon acted against the other, it would overturn hell. Basically, it would throw the entirety of the underworld into this enormous war. So he put himself in a situation where he forced them to save him. Yes. <laughs> other Because if he died, it would ignite a war in hell where all three of these devils would have to destroy one another or try to destroy one another. Well, and the upshot being that... Uh Hell would lose and heaven would lin, li, uh, win, and they would all become essentially slaves to the angels. And they just said, hey, wait a minute, we can't allow this to happen. As angry as we are, we can't let him die either because we can't take his soul, so let's heal him. And uh, the first of the fallen makes his resurrection excruciatingly painful. Yeah, and it's a, it's, it is a brilliant, I will say this, it was a brilliant beat the devil story. Yes. I really enjoyed it. Did it need to be six issues? Yes. Eh, probably uh, not. You don't I, no, uh, no, I think it really probably could have been done in four issues. I, I really, really think it could have been done in out. four issues. I don't know. You know, the Matt aspect, it, as John is dying and realizes he's dying, he goes to check out the cancer ward at a hospital thinking that he's just going to check himself in there and give up. And he meets this guy called Matt who he kind of befriends and – knows that he's going to die as well, but he likes this guy for some reason. And it kind of puts a different face on this idea of someone dying for cancer and uh, of cancer. And at the end of the story, Matt does die. And it really upsets John quite a bit because he's just beat the devil and he's very euphoric and very happy over this. And yet his friend does die and he can't do anything about it. I think that and entire, that, that sequence, what's that? That's one of the big tropes of Hellblazer, his friend dying and he can't do anything about it. Yeah, and I thought, you know, that kind of went on maybe a little bit too long, especially where we had to have an entire issue just dealing with sitting around in the hospital, chitty-chatting, and then dying. Um, Just seemed like we're stretching it out a little bit more. Maybe not four, but definitely could have been done in five issues. Definitely could have been done in five issues. Um. So story-wise, I thought it was good. I don't, you know, again, I don't know what else had Garth Ennis done in 91 that would have set him off as one of these rebels. Well, you know, this story, well, I, I recall it being somewhat controversial because the main character literally went and sold his soul to the devil. Three times. And he gives the bird Three right times. on the middle of a panel, and I'm not sure that we had seen anyone flipping uh the viewer off or the reader off i had no in that and this is a good six years before stone cold steve austin made it socially acceptable yeah and it was before we saw it in um in uh wanted mm -hmm. you know so it, well, i guess this it's a is, little shocking from this that is point well before wanted this is yeah. the this is the wellspring from which preacher and wanted and the boys and many of the comics that we enjoy today actually sprung. Mm -hmm. I mean, the moments with Brendan and John in drinking the beer. Right. Reminded me of nothing so much as Jesse Custer and Cassidy. Also a Garth Ennis joint in preacher, that moment where they just, you know, they get drunk and they bond over John yeah. Wayne. Movies. Yes. Yes. I love right. that part. And right. I think that, the fact that we get to the end and the fact, you know, when we find out John has, in fact, saved his own life, he should be successful. 
But it still ends on a downbeat note because he can't save his friend. He can't do this for everybody. And maybe that's... So that's kind of the point is yeah. whatever happens with John, he's always not going to get that heroic moment. He's not going to have the, the Batman, I was five steps ahead of you moment. Right. What he's going to have, he's going to have the equivalent of you and I walking in and going, ah, crap, you know what we forgot to do? Yeah. Pay Edna. Well, yeah, he's going to have essentially the piss knocked out of him every single time because here he is on this big high. By the way, that high. is a curse. <laughs> he's got this big high and then all of a sudden his, his legs get knocked out from underneath him because, you know, this guy that he's befriended does die a horrible death right in front of him. And, Two of his uh, friends. Yeah, Brendan early on, but that was kind of a um, bittersweet kind of moment where when Matt dies, it is blood and, and crap and vomiting and projectile crapping all over the place in a way mm-hmm. that is very graphic and disturbing of uh, maybe an inner message of this is what's going to happen if you get cancer from smoking cigarettes 30, 30 sticks a day kind of thing. Uh, awesome. So that that's more of a shocking, uh, hard truth to the story as opposed to the bittersweet where killing this character to set up a plot point to get us to the ending. Right. And the ending, the point where this trade ends Mm-hmm. is the moment where John and Kit first embrace. Kit, of course, is Brendan's, I think, either ex-girlfriend, ex-wife, something. Yeah. Basically, a widow, for all intents and purposes. Kit becomes extremely important to Garth Ennis's run on Hellblazer. Okay. Because, again, you know, we see that moment where John finally gets into a normal relationship. And then things sort of, you know, go from there. This is, this, I think, is probably the closest thing you're ever going to find to a good jumping on point for Hellblazer because the first 12 issues, A, aren't collected as a 12 issue arc, even though they are a 12 issue arc. Mm. They tie directly into Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. back and forth with Swamp Thing right after Crisis on Infinite Earth. So yeah. good luck figuring that out. Okay. Um, the, se- the second arc of Hellblazer, Jamie Delino's arc of The Fear Machine, is really esoteric it is it is proto vertigo it is as far out as the most far out vertigo series in some ways so this may be the most accessible place to jump on to hellblazer even though i'm not as enamored with the art oh, in yeah. retro man the art i just was like oh my god there yeah, are the times where is... from panel to panel, Constantine's face looks totally different to where one point his skin is like, looks like it's falling off his face. And the next panel, it's, you know, nice and beefy looking. It's uh, then there's the coloring where it's like they, you know, I can understand if it's a style where let's just paint this area with this color and this area with this color. So face, everything on the face except for the eyes is going to be pink tongue, teeth, face, Eyebrows, all pink. Hair, maybe pink, maybe brown. And then let's make the background purple. I, I can't stand. That's that's part of the problem why I avoided a lot of Vertigo stuff when it came out was because the art was so much different than the four-colored stuff that you would see in, in traditional superhero fare. But really, art really bothered me in this piece. Uh, I can definitely see that. I... I recalled this as being drawn by someone else. In my brain, I wanted to, re- re- you know, remember this as been being drawn by someone who draws a lot more like Derek Robertson. 
Hmm. You know, it's been a lot of years since I read this arc. The art has not aged as gracefully as it could. Mm-hmm. The coloring, on the other hand, I kind of like, and it's very similar to, boy, I don't even remember what it was now. It was something where we were reading, it may have been Parker or something like Parker, yeah. where we'd have big masses of blue mm-hmm. or, you know, black and white and green. Right. You know, I really like the coloring overall. And I think that this is, if you look at this issue, it's easy to see that vertigo tone and what would come mm-hmm. around in oh, House yeah. of Secrets and, yeah, and Sandman and Sandman Mystery Theater and Sandman and his amazing friends and Sandman <laughs> Goes to College. You know, all of these vertigo titles, Shade the Changing Sandman, Animal Sandman, all of these books that are going to come out, you can definitely see the seeds of vertigo right here in these issues. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And for for good or ill, because everything that you look at and dislike or anyone anything that anyone says about vertigo, you know, legitimate negatives, you're thinking, okay, well, obviously, that's, you know, that's there, too. So there are points when vertigo intentionally, books will intentionally have an arty, scratchy, kind of hard-to-look-at style or something that's a little more avant-garde. Yeah. Uh, moments where the story is intentionally confusing or designed to challenge you and, you know... The equivalent of walking up, kneeing you in the nuts and sticking a snotty finger in your peanut butter jar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that that's all there, too. Did but, uh, books, uh, the Hellblazer was out long before, a couple of years before Books of Magic came out, right? Oh, yeah, long time. Books of Magic was like 94? 93, 93, I think. Yeah, This came out in 88. Well, okay. Hellblazer debuted in 88. The character came out in 86. Okay. John Constantine is one of the last pre-crisis characters in the DC universe. Okay. John and Booster Gold are pretty much the last of the original DCU. Right. Let's uh, look at some of the comments from some of our listeners. Uh, Tidge says, I have mixed feelings about this story arc. On the positive side, it was a decent enough story following uh, Jamie Delano's masterful but difficult-to-penetrate uh, inaugural run. It presented J.C. with a serious problem of his own making, and he had to trick his way out of the problem. On the negative side, it inspired a loud Garth Ennis uh, to turn Hellblazer comic into an immature collection of juvenile behavior with absolutely none of the subtlety of Delano or Moore's take on it. Um, I stayed with the book for about another year, hoping it would improve, but ended up dropping it forever, picking up only the later Delano or Delano issue. I have no objection to Ennis's approach to writing comics. They obviously appeal to a plenty of readers. I really object to his uh, to his branding existing well loved comics with his style. Oh, I only object to his branding existing well loved comics with his style. Two slices of Guinness soaked meatloaf for this six issue series. Zero slices of meatloaf and a filthy ashtray full of squandered potential for the entirety of the Ennis run. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Matthew, you want to Poor Damascus. A, yeah, Poor Damascus. Damascus says, sadly, my only experience with John Constantine yes. has been the Keanu Reeves movie. Damascus, we want you to know there is help. <laughs> and if you don't get help at Charter, get help somewhere. Well, but he recognizes that the Keanu movie is, is not that great. Uh, not that great. It is awful. Uh, I don't want to judge the comic based on the movie, says Damascus, but it does make me hesitant towards wanting to read the books. The creators need to get a little more involved in production so their works aren't bastardized. Now, here's something important about Hellblazer. Mm-hmm. Hellblazer 
probably alone of the original DC uh, Vertigo books was under the old style where we would have a title. You'd have somebody come and write it for a while, somebody draw it for a while. And at the end, it wouldn't end just because somebody left. You'd have somebody new come in and write it and draw it because Hellblazer was a going concern rather than a Neil Gaiman story or a Mike Alred story. Hellblazer Mm -hmm. was not about Alan Moore's character and what Alan Moore wanted to do with it. They took Alan Moore's character. They gave it to Jamie Delano. Jamie Delano wrote it. When Jamie Delano was done, they gave it to Garth Ennis. When Garth Ennis was done, they gave it to Pete Milligan. It's, you know, it's the way that comics used to be produced. A book is going to come out. We'll get a team on it. And if that team leaves, we'll get another damn team on it. It's not, you know, it's not the auteur theory of comics. Right. So I don't think that taking an Alan Moore character and talking about creator intent is probably the best way to go here because Moore will tell you, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. I hate everything. But Constantine is a great character. Oh, yeah. The Johnny, the Johnny Depp movie <laughs> is a cinematic abortion. Right. Taking Johnny, not Johnny Depp, forgive me, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves and Shia LaBeouf. That should give you two indications right there of how good the movie is. Taking, taking away the character's Britishness and giving him a Hellblazer mobile and a magic crossbow. I mean, this is literally the equivalent of, you know who's going to play Superman? Don Rickles. And instead yes. of being invulnerable, he's gonna instead of being invulnerable, he's going to shoot lasers out his butt. Yeah. And instead of being able to fly, what we've got is a robot pony unicorn that he's going to ride across the sky while he calls people hockey pucks. And a giant spider in the end. Now, I will and, say this. Now, now, Damascus goes on to say something to the effect of, can't wait to see how Matthew convinces me to uh, use my food money to go buy this trade. And I will say this <laughs> to everybody who's listening. Within the first three pages of the, of the book, you will know everything about Matthew. Because as I read these first three pages, I'm like, there's Matthew's thought process. There's Matthew's humor style. There's Matthew's um, way he delivers his comments and his dialogue, you can actually kind of get a hint of where Matthew lifts a lot of his jokes from. Hey. In hey. the first three pages of this. It's I it do is, not it is really my jokes. I will I will say this. Hellblazer has to be one of those defining Matthew books. This is a book that defines I was influenced you. by his work. <laughs> I would say it defines you, Matthew, because in three pages I didn't have to go into this going, oh, this is Matthew's favorite series of all time. Let me read it. Blah, 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 blah. No, just as sitting there reading this and knowing you, I can say this is a book that had a direct influence on Matthew's life. Oh, yeah. And a big influence on Matthew's life. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've been reading this book now for 22 years. And I'm not quite 40 yet. So more than half my life, I have been reading Hellblazer on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, what I, what many people say, oh, the Batman is the awesome Batman. I want more Batman. Right. I kind of look at this and I go, eh, John Constantine could kick the Batman's ass and he wouldn't even need 15 minutes to plan. Yeah. You know, that's, that's definitely something that you can, I can see that. I'm looking at the first three pages 
Yeah, I got that. I got that. <laughs> it may be a little bit more than the first three pages, but believe me, within the and first then he couple pukes of pages. Up along. Yeah, that's me. Within the that. first three page couple of pages, I'm going. This has got Matthew written all over it. So you know, it is if definitely people want to. If you want to know what makes Matthew tick, read, read Hellblazer. Um, yes. This is habits. my Twilight, yes. and John is, is my Edward Cullen. Yep, there you go. Except without the creepy stalker rapist vibe. <laughs> so I'm going to guess that, Matthew, you're going to say this is a must-read recommendation for all of our listeners? I would not say for all of our listeners. Um, as always, your mileage may vary, but most importantly, if you are sensitive to uh, issues of religious nature if for instance i know i know people well, it's not like constantine's of, it's not like he's he's dipping the cross in a mason jar full of urine no but i know people who are bothered by the you know the existence of a satan character or a devil character in books and i can see being bothered by that i mean it's a perfectly legitimate thing to have happen yeah, you know if you were bothered by that if this is something that would offend you i would say definitely stay away because a lot of it does sound like what your worst expectations would well, be. Well, if you're bothered by the word hell, then the title of the book should keep you away to begin with. Well, maybe. Some people think that, if, you know, maybe Hellblazer. If the allusion to John Constantine, J.C., and another famous character by the, that Just had the Custer? same. Well, I was going to say, uh, uh, what's his name from, um, not of Mice and Men, but Grapes of Wrath. Uh, that character who gets killed, that JC character, or maybe even another character throughout history with the initials JC, you know, you might want to stay away. Jim Curtis? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say, you know what, this J is... Joe Carousella? <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm going to say that the Hellblazer Dangerous Habits is a... I would say pick it up at the library if your library carries it, or maybe borrow it from a friend. Um... I don't know if I would say go out and buy this book unless you kind of know what you're getting into. And by this time, you kind of should know what you're getting into from our discussion. It's an interesting read. And if this truly is the first time we're encountering a lot of these characters and we're just expected to believe that we have not met any of these characters before, then I think it works a lot better than than whenever I was reading it going, who the heck are these people? Give me a freaking name. Uh, then, you know, it is pretty good. And I did enjoy it. And it, as far as a beat the devil story. Uh, it was a good one. I like beat the devil stories because I'm always sitting there going, can you really beat the devil? Or can you be smart enough to beat an immortal who's been around, you know, a, an immortal being who's been around since time began and, uh, and, and outwit them. And for that point, I really liked the story. thought it was a little long, but I still like the story. Mm -hmm. I, one of the, uh, there I go ah, again. Matthew's here is a tenet of Hellblazer at this point in time. And this is the first time we really see it, other than in his initial appearances. At the point where we meet John, he's 35, 36 years old. He has had right. an entire life. And sometimes a character will show up and they'll go, John, hey, remember me? My name is Irwin. Right. Not literally Irwin, but there are times when characters pop up. And this is the first time where we all of a sudden have a bunch of characters who just suddenly pop up. Out of nowhere where, you know, we haven't actually dealt with them before. They haven't been around. And they are people that John knew before we started reading his adventures. And so in a way, it's kind of like meeting a new person. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
Oh, yeah, and this is my ex-wife. Uh, she's a professional porn star and an ex-elephant uh, wrangler. Yeah. You know, you have that moment in real life where you meet somebody and you're like, this is what this person is like. And then all of a sudden, something makes you realize that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe she can take that torch and fling it in the goblin's eye or whatever. Right. I I like that part. Mm-hmm. That's a good part of this whole thing. All right. Well, everybody, I think we've given you both of our views on it, and we've heard a few from our listeners. And I think that wraps it up for this issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. We're going to be back on Saturday. Please come back, Rodrigo. Please come back. (laughs) Rodrigo's probably going to be out for one more week because uh, this upcoming week is a major holiday here in the United States. And so uh, we're going to uh, pre-record something for Tuesday's show. But we've got a very special episode coming up on Saturday, Saturday, July 3rd, 2010. I think that's the third, right? Uh, that marks the fourth birthday of Major Spoiler. So Matthew and I are going to kick back and we're going to talk a little bit about the four years at Major Spoilers. And then next week, uh, probably previews catalog and something else. And uh, we'll be back real soon because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you real soon. No! <laughs> If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew He kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. But would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fun bee in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010